0: And I'm actually pretty confident this morning that what I'm about to say uh, is right on. Chances are almost everyone here was angry at least once this past week. It might have been a minor irritation, like getting caught behind a slow driver or getting stuck in a traffic jam. It may have been being frustrated with your children for not picking up their toys. Uh, It may have been a situation at work. Or like a pastor who was sharing on a video that I watched this week, when he came home, he noticed that his wife had taken the garbage out of the garbage bag in the kitchen, tied up the bag, carried it out into the garage, and then set it right next to the garbage can. And he came in and he's like, Rachel, finish the job. Well, some husbands and wives live daily with anger and hurt feelings. There are parents and children who face constant battles with angry outbursts. Many adults have painful memories from their childhood that keep bubbling to the surface. Every time they think of them, they seethe with anger. Churches can be known for struggling with anger which leads to conflicts between parishioners and sometimes even leadership. And many times these conflicts are over theological differences. When with all the information that's available out there online now, this, this is exponential, these problems that can exist in churches, because those things aren't always necessarily vetted, but people can get all this information and things that fit with what they think, and all of a sudden you've got tremendous fertile grounds for theological uh, dissension. You know, at the church I interned at three and a half decades ago, I was asked to speak on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, one Sunday, which was the love chapter. And of course, we hear it read at weddings and everything, but it's sandwiched in a context about spiritual gifts. Chapters 12, 13, and 14. And particularly in the church at Corinth, there was an overemphasis on the sign gifts of speaking in tongues and of prophecy and, uh, and And making other gifts to be of less significance or less importance uh, in the church. And so Paul was addressing that by telling them, you know, know, the hand doesn't say to the foot, I don't need you. And the eye doesn't say to the ear, I don't need you. And those kinds of things. Because every single gift is important in the church. Well, I was speaking there from uh first corinthians chapter 13 and a big part of that context is to understand that that uh when we come to the end of the age spiritual gifts aren't going to be what's important but faith hope and love when the church age is over faith hope and love are the things that are important those are the things that are important in in uh, um in glory and paul says and the greatest of these is love well, I taught that text, and when I got to verse 9, teaching about we know in part and we prophesy in part, but then when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And I was teaching there that the word perfect there is the Greek word telos. It's where we get the study of end times teleological studies of end times and every reference in the New Testament of that word refers to the end of the age. So when the end of the church age is over these spiritual gifts aren't going to be needed then anymore uh, but faith, hope and love are what's going to be needed. And so I was teaching this and I didn't know that there were some cessationists in the congregation there, and one of them had to happen to be an elder. Now, sensationists believe that when it's talking about perfect, there it's talking about when the Bible was composed and canonized in the third century. That these sign gifts and dramatic gifts were important in the church then, but they're they're no longer necessary in the church following that. But the context and the the, the language references doesn't lend itself to that interpretation. Well, the very next day I'm sitting in my office and one of the elders of the church comes in, blood veins bulging in his neck, face completely red, full of anger. He has literature because he was, he was saved and, and brought into a fundamentalist church that taught that cessationist of gift stuff and he flung that stuff across my desk. And, uh, you know, he wanted me to read it and he wanted me to know that I wasn't teaching the Bible correctly and blah, blah, blah. And I I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you uh, in doing that. But I have to also say, I can't apologize for teaching the truth of God's word. Some people are really angry right now about their employers mandating the COVID-19 vaccination. Other people are angry that there are people in our culture not being vaccinated. Some people are angry right now with the trajectory of our government and the lawlessness in our land and the open, porous borders, except if you talk about the northern border. And then some people are so upset right now that no matter what happens in our culture, that there's a segment of our population that makes turns everything into an argument about... About racism. The truth is right now many people are angry in our nation and plenty of them are venting it and expressing it in inappropriate ways. And I'm very concerned that when we get further down the line here, we're going to end up with a lot of broken relationships as well and a need for mending those broken relationships. That's where the church needs to step in with with the grace of God and God's healing power to show the way how relationships can be mended. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't get angry, then it's possible that you actually might have a serious problem with anger. More serious than the person who even admits that I struggle with anger. See, some people who say that they don't get angry suppress their anger, which stops the healthy processing of anger and also contributes to toxic levels of internalized anger. By the way, there are a whole host of medical problems associated with unprocessed anger. Do you know that it causes high blood pressure? that it can cause hardening of the arteries, that it can cause heart disease and headaches and stomach problems and ulcers and colitis and even insomnia, just to name a few. And some people who claim that they don't get angry, uh, and they're the people that say, oh, don't raise your voice, you know, don't yell, all those kinds of things, they're actually known to be passive-aggressive, a sort of underground way of manipulation and non-cooperation. This is how people seek revenge. Or how they get even, pretending everything's okay, but covertly being difficult. Anger, folks, is a gateway emotion to so many other problems in life. In fact, anger is only one simple letter. The letter D, short of danger. Now, I happen to be personally amused that in the United States of America, by all of the states now that are legalizing the recreational use of marijuana. And this goes back to my undergraduate health education degree, because one of the things that we studied when we studied drugs and alcohol was that marijuana happens to be a gateway drug. Every heavy drug user in our country, pretty much, started out with pot. They started out with marijuana. It doesn't generally just stay being a pothead. It usually goes beyond that to other hard and illicit drugs. And what muses me in all of this discussion and everything you see on the news media and everything else, no one is even having the discussion about this being a gateway drug that leads to other things, to worse things. Well, anger is a gateway emotion. That can lead to danger. In fact, inappropriately used, it can cause all kinds of damage. Think about the marriages that have been lost. The families that have been destroyed. The friendships that have been wrecked. The jobs that have been lost. The lawsuits that have been fired. How much property damage is there? Wouldn't it be fascinating to see the statistical analysis of the property damage in America alone caused by anger? And how about domestic abuse and violence? And do you know that most murders and crimes of passion are linked to anger? And what makes anger so dangerous is that it often reinforces in the angry person's life what they want. So in that sense, anger is self-reinforcing. Angry people often get results. Which means then that we're more than likely, as a sort of conditioned response to get angry the next time around because we'll get results. Now, anger is often a shortcut that short-circuits relationships and even short-circuits satisfaction in life. In the short term, people alongside of angry individuals will cave in and they'll give the person what they want, but in the long run, they will end up distancing themselves from someone who is an angry uh, person. Now, how many golfing buddies does the person have who gets angry every time when they're out on the golf course and their game isn't going the way they want? Now, I have a brother-in-law who loves golf. Outside of his faith in God and his family and his job, golf. Uh, he, he loves golf like I love bow hunting. And uh, he is, he, every free moment he has, when he can, he will be out golfing. Well, he told me recently that he had to quit golfing with a Christian man and a lifelong friend, somebody that he's golfed with for decades, he had to quit golfing with him because it got to the point when this man's expressed his anger over and over again on the golf course that he said it got to the point of being embarrassing. He told that this man, that his cussing and his swearing and his stomping around was over the top and that he couldn't take him breaking his golf clubs over his knee anymore, which that never made sense to me. You know, a $300 driver just because it hooks or slices or doesn't do what you want it to do, uh, all of a sudden you snap the handle off and then you got to take it to the, you know, the, the golf club and, or a golf uh, pro and get yourself a new, uh, a new handle put on it. Or he said, I can't take it anymore when he goes to the water hazard and flings his club out in the water hazard and then you got to sit there and wait for him to tuck his pants up and go out in the water hazard and, and uh, retrieve his golf clubs. Or the times he gets mad and just stomps off the course in the middle of the round. No one wants to golf with someone like that. My brother-in-law told the man that he needed to get help to learn how to deal with his anger. Now, people who usually hang on to their anger and exercise it often usually express their anger in a form of resentment, In other words, they nurse and they nurture their anger through hanging on to their resentments in life. And this usually manifests itself in people pouting, you know, in self-pity and plotting to get even, or simply just making people around them miserable, which is why angry people have very few friends in life. Neil Clark Warren says this about anger. I get what I ask for, but not what i want an angry person tends to get the immediate results they're looking for but they lose out on long-term fulfillment as as others have said either learn to control your anger or your anger will control you we're beginning a new sermon series today called Mending Broken Relationships by speaking about anger, which happens to be the main culprit behind broken relationships. And this is why we've entitled our first sermon in the series, Anger, the Tricky Emotion. And it's tricky because it can do so much good in the world and so much good in the church when used appropriately. And when it is not used properly, it can cause untold Damage. The key to managing this tricky emotion is to understand it. And to properly deal with the emotion of anger, we must understand it. Now, the first thing I want us all to understand today is the incredible physiological things that the response that happens within our own human bodies. Okay? Uh, In Neil Anderson's book, Getting Anger Under Control, He writes that the nerve center in your hypothalamus activates your body's emergency system, often referred to as your fight-or-flight response. And this system, when someone gets mad, constricts the blood flow to your kidneys, to your intestines, to your skin, and at the same time, your brain sends a signal to your adrenal glands to dump large doses of adrenaline and cortisol into your bloodstream. Your muscles... Prepare for action. Your heart beats faster. Your blood pressure rises, pumping oxygen and rich blood to muscles where it's going to be needed most. See, God has designed our bodies to do this in preparation for action. And frankly, it is the same response that occurs in our bodies when we're startled or we're frightened. The emergency system kicks in right away. It's like the emergency generator goes right on in that split second, right at that moment when we're frightened or when we're confronted with danger. And Pastor Nathan actually had this happen right here, just outside the church, 12 days ago, the day before the fall kickoff for the youth groups, he was outside and he was sawing a board uh, and he was gonna put a sign up for one of the activities that they had going on. And he happened to notice out of his peripheral vision, just as he cut this board, some movement just, just, coming out of the creek over here, right behind him. And he turned and glanced, and there was a gigantic gray timber wolf, 75 yards behind the church. He said the tail was that long, that big around. Now, for the record, his mother and his father, which is yours truly, are really delighted that he chose to go with the flight response, okay? Hustled into the church instead of going out there in the fight response to chase the timber wolf off of church. Property, But on a serious note, the phys- this physiological preparedness is a state God has designed our bodies with to defend ourselves in times of danger, which is great when we're confronted unexpectedly with a timber wolf or a mama bear with cubs, but it is not so good when you're yelling at your spouse or yelling at your children. The second thing you need to know uh, about anger is that anger is a secondary emotion. It is always in response to some kind of stimulus, some kind of input that we're receiving. And we will be speaking more specifically about this in next week's sermon, because we're talking next week about these inputs, these stimulus from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 in a sermon that's gonna be called the source of anger. But generally speaking, we encounter some kind of slight some kind of rejection, some kind of fear or frustration or hurt, and anger shows up. And the key in those moments is to ask ourselves, why am I angry? Why am I angry? God used this very approach with Cain in Genesis chapter four, and I invite you to turn with me there, flip all the way back to the beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter four, and uh, let me read for you verses 1-1 through seven. Adam made love wife Eve, and she became pregnant, and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not be, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. God didn't ask Cain why he was angry because God needed some information. No, God's omniscient. God's all-knowing. He knew exactly why he was angry. He knew what was in his heart and what was in his mind. And God asked Cain to deal with his anger and jealousy before it escalated. That's why he was telling him that sin is crouching at your door. It, desire, it, devour, it desires to devour you and you must rule over it. You know, as co-creators with God, we are co-rulers. God has invited us in as image bearers of him to rule over the creation that he has given to us. It tells us that in the early chapters of Genesis. And now he's inviting Cain to do the very same thing. But sadly, he didn't listen. And of course, Cain took the life of his brother Abel. Now, God did the very same thing with the prophet Jeremiah. I mean, excuse me, Jonah. In the entire account of the book of Jonah, uh, Jonah didn't like God's plan for revival among Israel's enemies, the Israelites. So he does the exact opposite thing that God wants him to do. He boards a ship heading for Tarshish, going the exact opposite direction of going to Nineveh and the Assyrians. And of course, God lets a big storm come along. These sailors are expert sailors. They jettison cargo. They're doing everything they can to keep things afloat. And finally, Jonah fesses up that he's the of all this. And he says, throw me overboard. And they don't want to do that, but okay. Boom. Flump, calms the storm down. Bloop, 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 bloop. There's Jonah sinking down. Big fish God sends along to swallow. He gets to spend some time in the ocean in this giant fish. And all of a sudden. He gets burfed up on shore or close to shore and he figures out in his bleached out state that, you know what, I better go to Nineveh and do what God told me to do. So he goes there and he tells the people what God wanted him to tell them. That if you don't turn to God in 40 days, in that 40 day period, then God is going to wipe you out. And Jonah liked that idea of God wiping him out. So that part he was okay with. And we pick up the story here in Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. God, to see this revival among the enemies of Israel. They're turning to you is, is worse for me. I can't live like this anymore. Take my life. Verse 4, but the Lord said, replied, is it right for you to be angry? God brought Revival and forgave the Assyrians while Jonah angrily insisted that he had a good reason to be angry, which is why God asked him the rhetorical question. Remember, rhetorical questions answer themselves. Do you have a good reason to be angry? No, no. The key to understanding our anger is always to ask ourselves, when we are angry, why? Why am I angry? What's the stimulus? What's bringing this on? Now, the third thing I want us to understand about anger today is that our own experiences with it have proven that we can control our anger when we want to control our anger. Every single one of us here have controlled our anger, instantly turning it off when we had to Or when we wanted to. And you may have been in the middle of a heated argument with someone. Maybe it was a teammate on a sports team. Maybe it was a classmate in school. Maybe it was a fellow soldier in your time in the military. Maybe it was with a sibling. And all of a sudden, the coach comes in. Or the teacher walks into the room. Or your commander shows up. Or your parents come home. And what happens? All of a sudden, you shut it right off. Heated argument, switch is thrown, shut right off, and you act like it never even happened. Or better yet, you're in the middle of an an angry argument with your spouse and the telephone rings and you look at the caller ID and it says Pastor Daryl Nelson. And you answer the phone, hi, oh, Pastor, so nice of you to call. That's a pretty quick switch, isn't it? Pretty fast to do that one. Or how about if your boss at work, who also happens to own the company, does something that absolutely makes your blood boil. But you know, if you challenge them on it, if you try to correct them, or if you let them have a piece of your mind, it's over. You're going to get fired. You're going to get canned. Now, what are each of these people in these analogies doing besides being hypocrites? Okay, What are they doing? They're controlling their anger. Even non-believers have the capacity to control their anger and they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit to help them because this world offers to people all kinds of anger management classes that keep filling up and helping people with their anger and God has designed us as image bearers of God to rule over our bodies and our creation and so we can rule over our anger as he told Cain. Don't let it rule over you, you rule over it. You know Mahatma Gandhi, the great civil rights leader uh, from India, used, a, used to have a slogan on the wall of his home that read, when you are right, you can afford to keep your temper. And when you are wrong, you cannot afford to lose it. See, God has created us as human beings to be thoughtful and rational beings who have the capacity to control our anger. And every one of us, every one of us have done that. The fourth thing I want you to know today is that anger is a neutral emotion. Uh, I wrote about this in my October Connection uh, Church newsletter article, which you can read after the service today. But it's what we do with our anger that I said in that article that makes it either good or bad. Did you know that God experiences anger? We read about it. I hope you caught that. when We just read in, in, in Jonah chapter 4 there where Jonah said, I know you are slow to anger, but God does get angry. In fact, you want to know an interesting thing about God? It talks more about the anger of God in the Bible than it talks about human anger. There are over 100 references in the Bible to anger. God's anger. In fact, one of the classic ones is Psalm 711. Long before there were 711 stores, there was the Psalm 711. And it says, God is a righteous judge who displays his wrath. That's his anger every day. God's anger is displayed, his wrath every single day. And what gets God so upset every single day? It's sin and the damage that sin brings every single day to people's lives and to people's relationships. And this happens to be a common theme in the Bible. In the Old Testament, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone in his arms, Exodus 32, 19 says, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. How about David? David likewise responded similarly. He's bringing uh, resources and food to his brothers who are on the battle lines, faced off against the Philistines. And while he's there, this giant warrior, this nine-foot-nine-inch giant warrior, Goliath, comes out and mocks God and mocks the armies of the Almighty God. And David's furious. He's mad about this. So he takes action and makes Goliath pay for his blasphemy. Jesus also demonstrated righteous anger with the worshipers in the sanctuary. As Pastor Nathan read for us from Mark chapter 3 today, the people who didn't want him to heal on the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus demonstrated his righteous anger toward his own disciples who were trying to prevent people from bringing children to Jesus. And of course, Jesus also famously drove the moneylenders out of the temple in an act of righteous indignation. He's, it's recorded for us in Mark 11, 15 through 17, and also in a number of the other Gospels. But he did this because they had turned God's house, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. And yes, it is okay to be angry about the right things and in the right manner. Anger is righteous when it does good and not harm. Our prayer should always be, Lord, make me angry at the things that make you angry. Sadly, though, most people and even many in the church get angry over the most insignificant things. And my wife, who's been a pastor's wife now for almost 40 years, she always likes to use the word with me. She calls it minutia. minutia. People get so bent out of shape And angry about minutia. And rarely, rarely do people get angry over the things that anger God. Thomas Secker says, The person who would be angry and sin not, must not be angry with anything but sin. Remy Dietrich writes, Anger is a God-given emotional response to injustice. It is an emotion that motivates and empowers a person to defend what is good and true. Anger compels people to right wrongs. Dr. David Siemens, author of the book Healing for Damaged Emotions, defines anger this way. Anger is a divinely implanted emotion, closely allied to our instinct for right. It is designed to be used for constructive spiritual purposes. And the person who cannot feel anger at evil is a person who lacks enthusiasm For good. If you cannot hate wrong, it is very questionable whether you really love righteousness. You know, God doesn't tell us to never experience anger, and don't let anybody else tell you that either. That's an unbiblical concept to never experience anger. God has wired us to experience anger, and He tells us in the text that we're going to look at very specifically next week Ephesians 4 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So the Bible does teach us that as Christians, we are to live our lives by faith. Everything that we do in life, should be filtered through our faith, through what Jesus would do, through seeking the power of the Holy Spirit, walking daily in step with the Holy Spirit. And it tells us at the end of Romans 14, verse 23, that everything that does not come from faith is sin. So if we're not managing the anger, the emotions of anger from the stimulus and input we get in life, if we're not managing that through our faith, then it's gonna be sin. But if we are managing it through faith, That's a different thing. Now, we cannot keep the sun from setting. And it says to not let the sun go down on your anger. We cannot stop a day from coming to the end. But we can keep our anger from being our bedfellow for the night. See, we can seek God and through our faith work things out by not going to bed angry, honoring God in that way. Now, next week we're going to spend more time on this. But please know... That anger is a tricky emotion. And to properly deal with it in our lives... We need to understand it. First of all, that it's a natural physiological response, preparedness that God has wired into our bodies. It's a protective device. So we need to understand the physiological things that happen in those moments when we get angry. Number two, we have to recognize that it's a secondary emotion. That's why it's so important to ask the question, why am I angry? So we look back at the stimulus. We look back at the input that's creating these, these feelings of anger. The third thing we have to recognize and understand is that we can control our anger when we want to control our anger. And our life experience proves that out. Over and over and over again. And the fourth thing we need to recognize is that it is a God given neutral emotion. What we do with anger is what makes it either good or bad. Let's pray. God our Father, we thank you today uh, for this opportunity to talk about mending broken relationships, to look, God, to your word, to look to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ for his example, to look, God, at how you were angry and yet you didn't sin. Good things happened. Righteous things occurred because of, God, your uh, uh, hatred for sin and for the destruction that it causes in people's lives. So, Lord, help us to realize that you have created us as beings that can experience these emotions, uh, an emotion like anger. But, God, that through faith you intend for us to uh to express it appropriately in in god-honoring ways i pray for your church to do that in a broken world now that so desperately needs the help and the hope of the gospel and how relationships can be restored and mended through you and we pray for this to jesus and in his name amen